right. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. We thank the Lord for his goodness and his mercy. We love every opportunity that God gives us to study his word. And uh, we don't want to leave not one word that God gives us on the table without us taking a look at it and examining it and applying it to our lives. We're thankful for all of the bread that God gives us that he so graciously rightly divides. Doesn't have anything to do with me or anyone else, but it is God almighty. We are thankful. Brothers and sisters, we have a word that, uh, um, that um, God would like us to discuss. I believe this is going to encourage somebody, doesn't matter who you are, when you are listening to this or where you are listening to this, I am absolutely convinced beyond doubt that God is going to minister to the one that needs to hear it. I'd like you to take your Bible and I would want you to turn to the book of Job. And I want you to look at the third chapter. That's Job chapter three. Now, when you get to Job chapter three, we're going to look at two verses of scripture in particular, but these scriptures we're going to springboard and, and it's going to allow us to look at multiple scriptures in the book of Job and throughout the book of Job, but Job chapter three, and I want you to look at verses 25 and verse 26. Amen. This is another lesson in our uh, Bible Matters uh, series. And as you know, uh, we uh, there is no particular rhyme or reason, whatever God gives us, whenever he gives it to us, that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to let God rightly divide the word of truth. Job 3, 25, 26 says this, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, amen, yet trouble came, amen, amen. See that again, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety. Neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. May the Lord add a blessing to those that read and hear and do his word. Sometimes, family, uh, trouble um, comes. This is not a topic that we are a stranger to. Uh, we've talk, talked on many occasions about uh, trouble, I've done lessons uh, in the past covering the topic of trouble. So we've gone into this discussion, into this topic uh, many times and have come out with uh, much understanding, all thanks to the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But not all trouble is equal, so to speak. We learned in times past that there are instances of trouble <clears throat> that are um, self-induced, and then there are instances of trouble that are God-induced. Amen. God brings uh, some trouble, but then there are troubles where we bring some things on our 
self. The common denominator is, is that nobody likes trouble, regardless of what area it comes from. We don't like trouble. I have never met a person personally who, um, if somebody were to say who likes trouble, they would raise their hand and stand up and jump to their feet. I don't, I, I don't know that person. Um, and, and, I, and I suspect that you don't necessarily know too many people like that either. People generally tend to not want to deal with uh, trouble unnecessarily. I know that I don't. I'm not one who's looking to go jump into the mix of something. I know I'd rather avoid that. But sometimes the worst case scenario happens, okay? Um, bringing not just trouble, okay? But the trouble we fear, okay? Sometimes the thing that you really don't want to happen, that thing that you really can do without, that thing that you and I want to avoid the most, the worst case scenario, we'll call it. There are times where that thing happens. Those things come about. And when it comes, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't just bring trouble, but it's a next level trouble. What do I mean by that? Because it's not just your garden variety trouble. This would be the trouble that happens that, that yeah, when it comes, you, you, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, you, it, it's annoying and you want to deal with it and you'd rather uh, get over it pretty quickly. But, but when it comes, it doesn't rock your, your, your world, so to speak. It doesn't destabilize you and cause a bunch of instability in your walk and in your life. It, it, it is troublesome. It is bothersome, but it's not knock down, drag out, end all, be all trouble. It isn't like that. But next level trouble is the trouble that you fear. It's the trouble that you dread. And, 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 and the thing that you absolutely wish would not come about. We're talking today about the sum of all fears. That's really the topic that I want to deal with for today, especially using the scripture that we um, that we talked about, Job 3, 25 and 26, the sum of all fears. Because Job in this text, um, this is a powerful statement. It's, a, it's an eye-opening statement. It's a heavy statement because he says, the thing that I greatly feared, that thing came upon me. Now, those of you who may not know this, Job was a righteous man. If you read in Job chapter one, you read, you can read all about this. And, 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 and Job um, had favor with God. Job was blessed of God. Amen. Amen. Job was, for all intents and purposes, Job was a righteous man. But the Bible tells us that there was a time and there was a season of testing for Job that he had to, to, to go through. And we, re and we see in the book of Job, we see the history of what Job went through, what Job had to endure as part of his testing. Amen. Amen. And, and, and in fact, uh, the book of Job, many times when we uh, 
are trying to encourage someone who may be going through a hard time or dealing with a difficult situation and it just kind of seems overwhelming or unfair or whatever it is and persons just really having a hard time with it oftentimes we who are stronger in the faith at least at that time will find ourselves pulling the book of Job out of the toolkit and using that as God leads us to minister to a person to help them see the other side, especially when you get to the, uh, to the end of the story for, for Job. But we often use the book of Job to bring context um, and perspective to the lives of those who are presently going through or maybe presently going through a situation that's really tough, really draining on them, really debilitating in many uh, different different ways. Job had to endure um, all of these these different these different things. And 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 our text tells us the uh, really it recaps the or, or encapsulates Job's feeling about all of the things. When you get to Job chapter three and you read that statement in verse 25, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. That is talking about all of the things that Job endured. What he's telling you is, is that what he went through was next level trouble. It wasn't just garden variety. He said, but these were the things that I dreaded. I, 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 these were the things that I could deal without. And many of us can identify with that. There's quite a few things that we could deal without. Sometimes the worst case scenario happens. And when we look at to Job 3.25, we're looking at a man who is dealing with the worst case scenario the scenario that brought not just trouble, but the trouble that Job feared, amen. The correct response to trouble that we fear comes upon us or when it comes, let me put it that way. The correct response when the trouble that we fear comes upon us. Many times it eludes us. It escapes us. The right response. How do I deal with this? How do I respond to this? Many times it escapes us. And usually it's because of one of two things or one of two things tend to occur in that scenario as to why uh, it escapes us. It is either because, usually because number one, we simply do not know what to do. Many times when the trouble we fear comes upon us or gets near us, starts to look like it's going to come upon us, many times the response that we should make eludes us because we simply don't know what to do. And this is not uncommon. The Bible teaches us that. The Bible is very plain about that. If you look at Proverbs chapter 14, look at verse number 12. The word of God says this, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What is that telling us? That's telling us very plainly that you and I don't know what to do. 
We don't always know what to do. We come up with stuff. We get a plan. We got things that jump into our mind. We think we know what to do. We think we know we we know which way to go or what what or or we think we've plotted out the a course that that'll work for us. But Proverbs fourteen and twelve is to simply tells us there's a way that seems right. It looks like it's right, but the truth of the matter is 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 that that way that we come up with, especially when it's our own idea and don't have nothing to do with God, that that, that, that that's not the right way. That's the wrong way. But the end thereof are the ways of death. So sometimes we don't know what to do. And the Bible is very plain. We absolutely have situations where we don't know what to do. Why? Because we, there's a way that seems right. We think we know what to do. But what Proverbs 14 and 12 is telling you is that you don't know what to do. You do not always know what to do, especially if you're operating in the flesh, you're not going to, you're not going to know what to do. Amen. The other scenario or the other thing that tends to occur in that scenario is either we do know what to do. We, we, we do actually know what to do. And if you've been in this walk long enough, there is a degree of experience that you gain from walking along the Lord's highway, walking this straight and narrow road. If you have put any time in this, brothers and sisters, there is a degree of, of understanding or knowledge that you do gain, at least enough to know that, okay, this, you know, if I do this, this will be wrong before God. This over here would be right before God. We, we, so there are times where we do know kind of or we kind of know or we do know what to do but the magnitude of what to do or the thought of the magnitude rather of what we getting ready to endure or what we're gonna have to go through the magnitude of it or the thought of the magnitude sometimes leaves us feeling as though we won't have the strength to overcome and those, those, those tend to be the two things that keep us, that cause the correct response when the trouble we fear comes up, that come, comes upon us. Those are the things, the scenarios that tend to, to keep the right answer just out of reach for us. We either don't know what to do, or if we do know what to do, the magnitude of what we got to deal with or the thought of the magnitude leaves us feeling as though we won't have strength, causing us to forget something very important. What's that? Philippians 4.13 that tells you and I this, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Amen. 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 Sometimes the look of the thing looks, the thing that I fear that you fear can look so sideways, like, man, this is going to be the worst thing in the world. And it can leave you feeling like, man, I just, I, God, I, I, I really rather not deal with it because I, I, I can't, I, I, there's no way I can make it. There's no way I can survive that. But I want to tell you, you might think that, but God knows you can make it. How does he know it? So much so that he declares it. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, 
which strengthens me. Doesn't matter how ridiculous it looks and how strange it looks. You can survive. Many times, family, because we have such a hard time knowing what the right move is, what the correct response is when the trouble that we fear the most comes upon us or seems like it's inevitable and it's going to come upon us. We find it many times we have a hard time knowing what that right move is because we find it easier or more desirable to instead of dealing with it, preparing to deal with it, we find it easier or more desirable to do all that we can to try to prevent it from happening in the first place. Yet, we're not always successful at that, are we? I know I'm not. I know I'm guilty of it. I know I've, I, 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 I have had more than my fair share of trying to prevent the worst case scenario. And most people will try to prevent the worst case scenario. And there's nothing wrong with trying to prevent the worst case scenario. Yet we don't always avail in this. And the reason for that is because we're working against many times a divine principle or truth that is in play. What's that? It is simply that this trouble will come. There is no way to completely avoid trouble. You're going to have trouble whether you like it or not. And sometimes that trouble that you have is going to be the one that you dread the most. Do you not remember what the Lord told us in John uh, 16 and 33? The word of God tells us plainly, these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye have peace. That's a good thing, but watch this. In the world ye shall what? Have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is Jesus, God Almighty talking to us. Did you hear what he said? He said, in the world, ye shall have tribu tribulation. You know what that means? It means you're going to have some trouble. Plain and simple. We don't want to over-engineer this or over-complicate it. Jesus has told you and I very plainly and in preparation that guess what? You're going to have some trouble. You can put all your effort and everything you want in trying to prevent everything that could possibly go wrong. But I'm going to put it like this. After all your planning and all your work, you still going to have some stuff that go wrong. You are still going to have some days that are better than others. You are still going to have some times that you wish that these things had never come. You are going to have some days where you wish you could just trade that back in and get you a better day. You're going to have that. You're going to feel that way sometimes. Job experienced family loss and hardship literally in almost every area imaginable. He really did. He really did. He experienced this hardship. He experienced loss and hardship in the area of his ability to make a living. So that's his livelihood. Many of us have experienced hard times or experience hard times or are experiencing hard times or difficulties in there. So that's his finances. 
hardship, loss, or difficulties in his home, his health, and quiet as is kept, his faith as well. Because when you get hit in all of these areas, it's hard to not have that also impact your faith just a little bit. See, Job was impacted on multiple levels, family. One right after the other. From financial all the way to spiritual. And you see this all throughout the book of Job. As you go through it, you're going to see all of that at play. I encourage you to read the book of Job if you have not. That's history that you need to know. Help you understand some things that you may have found yourself wrestling with. See, some problems come in quick succession. One right after another. And when they come, they leave us little time to think and even less time for us to prepare. We don't get to just be prepared all the time. Some problems come out of the blue. Some situations come, they, listen, they, they, they come so quickly that they, that they virtually take you by storm, blindside you. Problems, and when problems are experienced of this caliber, the kind that comes so quick, so fast that you don't even have time to think and, 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 and determine where you are. You don't have time to get your bearings. It's just all falling apart and everything is unraveling all at once. And it's not just a normal situation or a, or, or a garden variety problem. It's the thing that I, that I dread the most. It's the thing, it is the worst case scenario. Sometimes the worst case scenario comes so quick. Leaves you little time to get prepared for it. And when problems like that come, in areas like that, those critical areas, it can be blindsiding and it can even be devastating. And they sometimes leave behind the scars of disappointment and confusion. You find yourself, it, it, it can come so fast, so quick that when the dust settles, man, you are hurting. I don't know if, if you've ever been there, but I know I have. I know that I, I've had some things unravel in the worst, seemingly worst possible way. And as it unfolded and as the dust started to settle, settle I found myself in a place of hurt, disappointment, confusion, all at an all-time high. And if you're anything like me, then you've probably found yourself in a similar situation or are finding yourself in that very situation, that very circumstance. Because those fears that you dread when they come upon you in quick succession like that, Job got a report of bad news one right after the other. Four counts of bad news, one right after the other and it can leave you dusted and disgusted oh man you are it can leave you 
on the verge of bitterness, anger and frustration. It can, oh, it can absolutely do that. And you know what? And what's interesting about it is, is that this can all happen in spite of us knowing and doing our best. Amen. To follow verses five and six of Proverbs chapter three. Take a look at it. The word of God says this in Proverbs three. Starting at verse number five. And going to verse number six. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. When that next level dread comes upon you, it can leave you with all of those things, little time to prepare. It can come in quick succession, all of these different things, and it can do that all the while. You are literally trying to follow the word of the Lord telling you to trust him with all your heart. And not to lean to your own understanding, but in all your ways, you are acknowledging him. You're doing that. So that he might direct your path. You, it can happen in spite of you doing that. And when, it, and, and when it does happen, in spite of you doing that, you know what sometimes happens? It sometimes instead leaves you struggling leaves me struggling, trying to not be guilty of verse number seven in Proverbs chapter three that says, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You're doing your best to try to follow the word of God. And to not do it on your own, but to trust him and to not just do, but when trouble happens like that, that next level trouble, it may, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it at times can leave you in that place where you are struggling to not be wise in your own eyes. You know what that's talking about? That is simply talking about you taking matters into your own hand. That means you are so uncomfortable. You're so frustrated. You're so tired. You're so down. You're, you're, you, 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 you're, you're waiting on God. You're, you're, you're trying to do it God's way. Waiting on God. Leaning on God. And while you're waiting, while you're leaning, it seems like things are unraveling. And I am telling you, and when that happens, it can threaten you. It can cause you to entertain the foolish proposition of taking matters into your own hand. That's that verse number seven. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Notice what he said, be not wise in thy own eyes. That means don't, 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 you don't, don't take matters into, into your own hand. But don't you forget that, that, that second part of that, fear the Lord and depart from evil. What he's telling you is, is that when he, the part about being wise in your own eyes, which really is referring to you doing things on your own, taking matter into your own hand, he's literally telling you when he adds that second part, fear the Lord and depart from evil, what he's literally telling you is that what you're getting ready to come up with is already wrong. Glory to God. That's why, he that's why it's there. 
That is why it's there. Be not wise in your own eyes. Why? Because that plan you're getting ready to come up with to try to make things easier on yourself, to try to hurry up and get yourself through instead of walking through the storm. You think you're just going to sprint through the storm. And listen, some things got a process. And deliverance is is, is in the hands of the Lord. You can't strong arm your own deliverance. Uh Uh-uh. You got to walk the process of deliverance with the Lord. And that process and the pace is dictated by him, not you. So that plan that you're getting ready to come up with to try to speed it up and hurry up and make it over, you ain't going to do nothing but waste your time. Congratulations. You are a professional time waster because that's all that you're going to be doing. That's all that I did. Spin those wheels and waste that time. My, my, what I come up with, that was wrong. Yeah, that fell under the category of evil. That's what he's talking about. And guess what? What you coming up with? Soon as you come up with something other than wait on the Lord, it's evil. Soon as you come up with something other than trust God's plan and not your own, it's evil. You messing up. I know, I, I, I know that, that that's not what some of you wanted to hear, but you need to hear it. You are messing up all the while you're trying to take matters into your own hand. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you didn't want it. I know you didn't want to deal with it, but you got it. And it's right there in front of you. And listen, no matter how much you cry, no matter how much you complain, there are some mountains that you're just going to have to persevere and climb. And watch the mighty hand of God as he takes you to the summit. Because he's just that kind of God. So it'll leave you struggling. You're trying to do the first part, trusting in the Lord all my heart. But you, but when stuff starts going crazy, leave you struggling and contemplating, <laughs> entertaining ideas of, doing, of becoming wise in your own eyes, which ain't really nothing but foolishness. But nevertheless, that's where we, that's, it takes us there at times. We struggle even though we know We struggle even though we know there's a blessing in in the avoidance of the pitfall that's referenced there in verse seven, according to verse number eight, which simply says, it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. That's what, that's the blessing of trusting in the Lord with all your heart and leaning not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledging him and him directing your path. Verse number eight is the blessing for going that course and avoiding the alternate path in verse number seven. Simply means got to cause you to prosper. Got to cause you to thrive. Got to cause you to grow. Job. Had to deal with all of these things. That came about. All one right after the other. 
and it was difficult. He didn't want to have to deal with that. That's why he called Bible tells us. 325, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety. Neither had I rest. Neither was I quiet. Yet trouble came. What he's simply telling you there is that he did everything that he could to try to stop it, to head it off at the pass, basically. But none of that worked. He came anyway. He still had to deal with it. Job, the loss that Job experienced, let's talk about a little bit about that for just a moment. Job experienced great loss. He lost everything. But one of the things that he lost when Job was talking about the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, what Job was talking about really was saying was that I endured a loss in an area that I was afraid to take a loss in. I didn't think I could deal with that. I didn't think I'll be, the, I, 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 and I did everything that I could to avoid that. Job experienced a great loss and perhaps one of the greatest losses that Job experienced <clears throat> was that in his family. Amen. Job lost his 10 children, seven boys, three girls. And a lot of times when we look at the story of Job, we kind of just move a little really quickly past that whole part. And we kind of say, you know, man, that was kind of a cold, cold thing for him to endure. I know God, I know the story. I know that God's testing him and all of these different things, but, but my goodness, God, why, what's going on? What kind of test is that? I get testing, but, 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 but do you mean to tell me that, that that's the way God would test him? taking his kids and all these and 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 that's heavy and a lot of people a lot of times we we skip over that part because we don't want to because that that's a that's a that's a cold piece that's a heavy thing to to contemplate and to to to, to deal with and we're afraid that that there's no really good answer sometimes and that we, we won't we won't be able to understand it but it is kind of hard to think that God would just test somebody like that in that area but let's bring some balance to that let's see what actually went on with all of that and if it was God just simply wanting to test Job in the most extreme ways possible see Job experienced great loss in his family but not because God simply wanted to test him in that area. Mm -mm, no, that's the way it looks at first. But if you dig into the scripture, you're going to find out something. 
That's not actually what was going on. That's not actually what was happening at all. See, the things that Job endured was a test for him. And, but it actually served as judgment for his children. Uh-oh, now we bring it in another level, another layer. Make sure you're looking at Job chapter one, reading through that. And you and, and as, as I'm talking through the things that Job endured, it was a test. Indeed, it was a test for him. It tested him. But it also but it was more than that. It also served as judgment for his children. Talking about the aspect of the test that involved the children, because remember, Job lost his 10 children. Amen. See, when it come when it came to Job's testing in regard to his family or in regard to his children. The test was actually that of having to endure. What was God testing Job? What test was Job dealing with? Or did he have to deal with when it came to the loss of his children, you read the story, you're going to find out why, why this is. But the test, when it came to Job's testing in regard to his children, the test was actually not of God unfairly taking his children or allowing the enemy to take Job's children. That wasn't what happened. But rather the test was that of Job having to endure the judgment upon his children. That's what's actually happening. That's what actually went on. Job had to endure beholding and watching the judgment upon his children. See, Job was tested, but his children were judged and Job had to endure it. That was the test. What happened to his children was allowed because his sons and daughters were not right before God. And it is the statement and it is the what the Bible records about Job's actions that actually give you the clue and allow you and I to actually see what was actually going on. See, divine judgment will always test your view of God. It will prove the content of your heart and it will bring out and surface how you really feel about God. Oh, yes, it will. Come here, Jonah and Nineveh. All of a sudden, Jonah has to go to Nineveh. Jo Jonah don't want to go. Why? Because he know the character of God. He didn't want to go. He did not want to go at all. And he didn't want to go because there was the chance that they might repent and get it right. And this location, this city, these people, 
that were operating in wickedness who probably deserved the chastisement or the judgment of God. Jonah didn't even want to take a chance on the possibility that they might get it right and somehow seemingly not get the judgment of God. But nevertheless, Jonah finally goes and does or whatever else it is. And when it's all said and done, Jonah goes and sits outside the city, dusted and disgusted, mad. Should have been happy that the city repented, turned to God. But that wasn't what Jonah, that, that, that's not how Jonah responded. Jonah was upset. And God had to talk some sense into him. Divine judgment to bring out. When you look at divine judgment, whether that is, whether the judgment of God ends up being an act of mercy because people repent of their sins and God restores, or the judgment of God is the other side of the spectrum. Either way, it doesn't matter. Divine judgment, one way or another, will always test and prove the content of your heart, and it'll bring out how you really feel about God. See, Job's children opened themselves up for what befell them. And you need to understand this because see, God is just and holy and righteous and he simply does not. The Bible makes that plain. God does not just simply destroy the righteous. He don't do that. God don't destroy the righteous. No, he does not. He does not do that. Look at James 1.13 tells us, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. God did not put Job in the situation and work evil upon Job. That ain't what he did. But see, when we don't pay attention to the scripture, that's the knee-jerk response of many people. God, how could you do that to Job? Why would he do all that? That seems evil. Uh-uh. That's not what was going on. God can't be tempted with evil. And he don't go around tempting people to be evil and do the wrong thing. God don't do that. See, Job's family in chapter one was given to revelry, so to speak. So much so that it had Job concerned, so concerned that he continuously, if you read the scripture, sacrificed on the behalf of his children. Why? For fear that they might have really blasphemed God or cursed God. Now, and you read, I'm telling you, read Job. Look at, let's, let's look at Job chapter one, verses four through five. And his sons, went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day. Now that could mean um, their, their birthday or just the days that they appointed, um, however arrangement, however they, they did the appointment of the, of the days. Now, I want you to keep in mind, this is what his children were doing. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters, so all 10 of them. It always rotated. They always had some kind of party or some kind of gap, whatever it was. And it was always at one of the siblings house or one of the sons of the boy's house. And they just kind of rotate. Everybody had an appointed day and they just kept and they threw a feast. OK, they threw this whole gathering. OK, and look what the word says and sent and called 
for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting was gone about, watch this, that Job sent and sacrificed, that Job sent and sacrificed them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Job was so concerned about what was going on, about what was happening when they would get together, because he knew when they got together, the right thing was not going on. And so much so that he was worried about that the, at the end of the day that their actions were anti-God and they would lead them to cursing God and walking contrary. Now, I'm going to tell you, if Job had confidence in his children, If his children were up to the right thing, were doing the right thing, Job wouldn't have had to do that. Job would not have made it his business to constantly have to sacrifice for them. But he did so because he was worried and he knew what was going on and how they were acting when they got together. They weren't right. They were not right. They were not living right. So much so that it worried Job. He was concerned about that. The actions of his children. Job was a righteous man. But his children clearly had some issues. Job sacrificed on behalf of his children because of their sin. And he did that continually. And many parents, we do that now. We have children that are living wrong. They're not living right. And we worry about them. And we pray for them and you keep on praying for them. Job did what all he could do. God's desire in this area, however, is seen in chapter 42 of the last chapter. That's the last chapter. See, Job sacrificed on behalf of his children. But what God actually wanted is actually seen in the last chapter as it concerns this. Where God, and we see it where God chastises Job's three friends. Because remember, Job had friends. When Job was going through, the, the, going through all the problems and all the different things, Job had friends who were supposed to be helping, but they were unhelpful. Do you have a bunch of unhelpful friends around you? It's time to let them go. They need to move on. But nevertheless, in chapter 42, we see what God's true desire was for not just 
Job's friends, but it applies to everybody and it would apply even to Job's children. God required, if you look at it, if you go to chapter 42, and I want you to look at verse number seven. And the Bible says this. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore, watch this, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz, the, 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 the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namanite, went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. So the Lord gave Job twice and so on and so forth. Twice as much. He went on and, and, he, and, and, and he blessed him. Now, check this out. Did you catch what happened in that scripture set? Job's three friends, didn't, they misrepresented God. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And instead of making things easier and trying to help shoulder the burden that Job was going through, instead, they made it worse. And God had a problem with that. Now, remember that in verse one, when it came to Job's children, Job was so concerned that it was Job that took sacrifices and sacrifice on behalf of his children. These children were all of age, evidently. Enough to be throwing parties and, and gatherings and drinking and all this other kind of stuff. Now, I want you to understand, they are accountable. Yet, in you, when you get to the last chapter and you get to the last verse, these people, they were trying to be spiritual, Job's friend. They were trying to be holy, but they was doing it all wrong. And instead of helping, they were hurting. And God had a problem with that so much so that look at how God dealt with them God told them in essence go and get your own sacrifice he required them individually to bring their own sacrifice watch where we going watch where we're going For their own sin, he required them to bring it and sacrifice it. He did not require Job to get the sacrifices for them. He didn't ask Job to do it for them as far as the, Job had to pray for them. 
Job had to stand in the gap. Job had to represent. Do you hear what I'm saying? Job had to, so to speak, mediate. But the sacrifice they had to individually bring. Job's children were of their of were of age themselves. They needed to bring their own sacrifice. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I hope you see it. I hope you see it. I hope that's getting, I hope that is really just hammering home. See, if it was important to, it was more important to Job that his children be right than it was for his children to be right. And you got to understand something. There is only so much that you can do for your loved ones. And there is an area that God requires. Our loved ones. To rise to the occasion in themselves. We pray on behalf of others. We pray God be merciful. But you have to understand, family, mothers and fathers, especially grandparents, because oftentimes you find yourselves praying for, for, for loved ones who, who are lost. And the problem is, is that you're doing more praying for them than they're doing for themselves. Well, you keep right on praying. Oh, yeah, you keep praying. But what you want to pray is, God, grant my loved one a heart of repentance unto salvation. God, open their eyes, help them to see where they are going and help it to them to to see it so well that it becomes important to them that they are saved, that they are right. Because at the end of the day, you didn't do what they did. And every man and woman's got to stand before God for himself. I can pray all day long, but at a certain point, the ones that, and, uh, that, that I'm praying for, they got to want to be right. See, at a certain point, when you can't do for yourself, you need people praying for you. But there comes a time where God expects you to come. See, this is a beautiful picture of the Old Testament way of dealing with sin by way of the atonement sacrifice, which was really, in, it was incapable of removing sin permanently, but it simply pushed it forward a year. That's what it did, okay? It couldn't, because it was, it's not possible that the blood of bullocks and goats and all these different things, around that it's not possible for that to take away the sins of the world or of a man. You needed a better sacrifice. And we have that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is contrasted by the requirement of each sinner to be responsible for his own sin. If a person's going to be saved, they got to own their own sin. They got to repent for their own sins. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is contrasted by the requirement of each sinner to be responsible for his or her own sins and to bring his own sacrifice. Look at Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye what? 
present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Yet the sacrifice, yet that sacrifice, God would not receive from Job's friend's hands without Job praying for their forgiveness. So if they had to bring a sacrifice, yet the sacrifice wasn't going to be accepted unless Job prayed for their forgiveness. We must bring our individual sins and shortcomings to Jesus in repentance. And then we got to accept his forgiveness through obedience to his word. That means being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, being baptized in the water and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. When we do this, that causes us to become covered by the sinless sacrifice or the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our savior who sacrificed himself. Our own sacrifice will never do. We got to just bring ourselves. And we do that when we come by way of repentance, when we own up to our sins and our unrighteousness. And when we do that and obey the word of God, then there is a sacrifice that is capable of taking away the sin. And that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it gets applied to you and to I. That's what needed to happen going back. That's what happens to us and that's what needs to happen for our loved one. But when we go back, dealing with Job and his children, because remember, this is in the Old Testament. They were accountable. Job was the one bringing the sacrifice for them. The problem was it was their sin and they were accountable and needed to bring a sacrifice for themselves. And see, and when that happens, whenever that happens, our loved ones, when they live wrong, when people live wrong, you gotta understand, you become eligible. When you walk contrary to God's word, you become eligible for judgment. And the enemy at times can have his way with you. See, if his children have been living right and because God don't destroy the righteous, just knowing the character of God, you automatically know he wouldn't allow that. But it was because they were living wrong 
that when the devil got busy, when he was given room on his leash, he was able to even impact them. Job was righteous. And the Lord told Satan very plainly, you cannot take his life. You absolutely cannot take his life. Do you see that? Amen. Glory to God. Nevertheless, Job endured all of these things. And part of that was that he had to endure one of the things that he dreaded the most. See, Job was afraid for what might happen to his children because his children were not living right. And so it was one of the things that he dreaded. And that is why he said, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. That's why he sacrificed. If there are some children, sons and daughters who are listening to this message right now, I want you to hear this and I want you to listen up real good on this one. Mom and dad can only go so far. They love you and they're praying for you and they're pulling for you. But you on the devil's radar because you just won't do right. And it is because of mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and people who are praying for you God is giving you chance after chance after chance. But you're running out of chances. Because the Bible says, God says, I will not strive with man always. That means God ain't going to keep putting up with your foolishness. Your open defiance and downright rejection of him. Job sacrificed for his children, hoping that it would cover them. But God makes every man and every woman responsible for themselves. Your sins have to be covered by the blood. You got to repent of your sin. You've got to turn away from unrighteousness. You've got to turn to God in repentance and obedience. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and be water baptized and allow him to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Because mom and dad can only do so much and you are of age. And it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment, you must get where you are supposed to be. Turn to God. Nevertheless, with all of these things, all of these dreadful things, things that Job really didn't want to happen, even in all of this, glory to God, Job found the correct 
response. When faced with the sum of all fears, the bottom line, the culmination of it all, Job found the correct response. And it's found in chapter one, verses 20 through 22. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. When the worst case scenario happens, worse seems to come to worse. This, the most unideal situation imaginable happens. And in quick succession, leaving you little time to think or to prepare to get ready for it, there actually is a correct response. Worship. Job first stood up. And then he went down. Sometimes you got to get up in order to get down. He stood up. That was a sign, a declaration of strength. I'm not defeated. I'm not cast down. I'm not destroyed. I'm not left by the wayside. Job stood up. Then he rent his mantle. That's a sign of breaking your heart before God. Because it's not really the clothes, but it's the heart. Shave the head in reverence and respect to God. And then he falls down and he worships. When worse comes to worse, you got to get up. You got to shake off. You've got to tear off. You got to get rid of everything that stands in the way of you telling God, thank you. You might not understand what's going on. You might not know how it's going to work. You might not know how you're going to survive this. It might look all bad and a half. It might look like this thing is getting ready. Listen, your world can be on fire and everything else, but sometimes you got to get up. You've got to break your heart before God. God, this is where I am. This is who I am. This is what's going on. And I am at your mercy that you got to shave that. You hear what I'm telling you? You got to reverence. You got to get everything out of the way and get to the place of worshiping God, telling God, thank you in spite of it all, because no matter how bad it is, God's been more good to you than you could possibly deserve or that I could possibly deserve. When it all falls apart, worship is how you find next level strength to overcome next level problems. God bless you, family. Until next time.